It is great to be able to worship with you and uh, to be able to celebrate God and his presence. And, and I will tell you that uh, this is a very exciting day for the church, partially because we get the opportunity today to celebrate new life. And the second service today, we'll actually have three baby dedications. And it's always exciting to have that. Uh, we have uh, Jamie Malasso, Jamie and Ryan Malasso there uh, two children are going to, two youngest children are going to be dedicated. And then uh, Taylor and Nicole Smith, their uh, newborn son, is also going to be dedicated. So it's always an exciting time when you get to celebrate new life. And more than that, these are individuals who they're going to be taught what it is to be a child of God because these families understand that they have a great responsibility in raising their children. I was reading an article this week. Uh, it was actually this morning, and it was uh, dealing with an individual who had committed a crime in Chicago. I know that sounds very unusual. Someone committed a crime in Chicago, and actually when the mother of the young man saw the, the picture uh, of her son who had committed this crime, she actually dragged him to the police station to turn him in. Now, maybe that sounds like a terrible thing, but actually part of what we need is mothers and fathers who will be the men and women that they're supposed to be, who will hold their children to a higher standard. And more than that, and this will take it further than what that article was actually talking about, what we actually need is men and women who will teach their children what it is to be a child of God who will make sure that they are in the body of Christ, who are living it in front of them, and we need to lead by example. So it excites me when we have three babies that are going to be dedicated to the Lord today because those are families that are declaring that they will make sure that their children are raised in a, a manner that will actually honor the Lord Jesus Christ. I also hope that you have enjoyed the sermon series that we have just come out of. Uh, there's no doubt that there is much for us to learn from the seven letters to the seven churches, which we've been looking at over the past seven weeks. And I've, I've often read those letters and sort of seen the modern church as more easily connecting with two of the churches. And uh, obviously the two that most people often relate to are Ephesus and Laodicea. But I'll tell you, I learned something significant uh, as we went through that series. Remember the church at Ephesus was the one that had lost its first love and they are encouraged to remember the height from which they had fallen. What they're being told to do is to remember the good old days, the, the days when you were spiritually strong. Go back to that. Go back to when you were hungry for the Lord. And honestly, that is a prescription that would fit the church today. Then, of course, there was the church of Laodicea, which was a lukewarm church that we talked about last week. And so often what has happened is the church today has fallen into that category, and it's not hard to see how we would be defined as lukewarm. But I think that I've come to the conclusion from that series that the church today does not merely connect with two of those churches, but every one of those churches. There were good and there were bad things in each of those churches that could probably reflect on things that are happening in the church today. And probably if we're ever going to be the church that God intended us to be, we are going to have to start taking those seven letters to those seven churches more seriously. And the reason for that is because that is the word of God to the people of God. 
we need to be able to apply his word to our lives and to this church. Well, today I am going to start a new series entitled Encounters with Jesus as we head all the way into the Easter season. And whether you realize it or not, the only way that you will ever find fulfillment and peace and hope and purpose is through a personal encounter with Jesus Christ. Now, I realize that there are those who likely feel as though they're doing pretty good. However, if you do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ, you will eventually come to the same conclusion as Solomon, who in Ecclesiastes chapter 2 repeats the same phrase over and over again. Everything is meaningless. It's a chasing after the wind. You may feel really good because you got a good job. And at the end of the day, it feels good to know you got money in your bank account. You may feel really good because you got a good family or maybe you've got a nice place to live. And while all of those things are a blessing, it is the one who blesses that we need to seek because all of those other things will eventually pass away. But what's done for Christ will last. We need to make sure that we find our fulfillment in him. As we work through this series, we'll focus on different ways that we are enabled to have an encounter with Jesus Christ. And what's funny is that God doesn't actually need any of these things, but these are the things he often chooses to use as a means of personal encounters with him. And the first one we're going to look at today is the community. It's drawn from a familiar passage that probably everyone in here has read. In fact, you've probably heard other preachers preach about it. You've probably heard me preach about it. We're going to be in Mark chapter 2, the gospel of Mark chapter 2, and we're going to look at verses 1 through 12. This is a passage that is preached many, many times, and I have even preached it. But this time, we're going to do it from a different perspective. We're talking about the healing of a man who is brought to Jesus lying on a mat. Listen to the passage with me today. And when he returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home and many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them. And they came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. Now, some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, why does this man speak like that? He is blasphemy. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, he said to them, why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise, take up your bed and walk, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed 
and went out before them all so that they were all amazed and glorified God saying, we never saw anything like this. Now I'm not going to get into the, the man's response at the end of this today, other than to say, I can't imagine that he just got up, grabbed his mat and left. He probably hugged Jesus. He probably jumped around a little bit, and I know it was pretty crowded there, but he probably found a way to run around just a little bit too. This man was paralyzed when he got there, and when he walked away, Jesus had done something amazing in his life. How could he not have responded with excitement and celebration? I mean, when you think about it, think about all the things that God has done for you in your life. Think about where you were supposed to be when sin was what dominated your life and Jesus Christ had not yet redeemed you of your sin. Yet Jesus Christ has redeemed you of your sin. How can we remain silent knowing what he has done for us? Obviously, there is much that we can talk about here in this passage. It deals with both the healing and the saving work of Jesus Christ. Jesus' question regarding which would be easier calls out the fact that there weren't many who could actually heal a lame man. Which would be easier to heal this man or to tell him his sins were forgiven? Well, duh, nobody can prove whether their sins are forgiven. But if you tell him that this man is healed, there better be evidence of it. So Jesus asks a question revealing the fact that he alone is the one who is able to heal. But Jesus is able to do more than heal. He is also able to forgive. So of course this passage does say a lot about Jesus. But it also says much about the community around this paralyzed man. For example, the first thing that I see is that not everyone in the community has the same mindset. Some were curious some were critical, and some were caring. We'll talk about all three of these groups this morning, but before I say anything else, I want you to realize that all three of these groups are represented each Sunday as a part of our worship services, so be careful not to be too critical this morning. To begin with, you have a crowd of people who have gathered to hear Jesus preach. Of course, there's nothing wrong with that. In fact, it is something to be commended. There's a part of me that wishes I could have been in that crowd that day. Can you imagine the wisdom that Jesus would impart to those in his audience? Can you imagine his ability to grab the attention of every person who was present? It had to be impressive. And consider the authority with which he spoke. Just one chapter earlier, in verses 21 and 22, we read these words. And they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. How refreshing this must have been just to hear Jesus preach just to hear the things that he had to say. And he put it in such a way that everybody could grab hold of it. Like this wasn't just theory. And this connects with me. This helps me in my walk with the Lord. 
So nobody blames the community for seeking to hear the words of Jesus that day. However, it's worth noting that while many within the community were sitting inside curious about what Jesus might say, receiving a great truth, there were those on the outside who had needs that were going unmet. I guess in that moment, they're just trying to soak up as much wisdom as possible. Again, not a bad thing. But what do you do about all the needs that are right in front of them? So let me summarize what's happening here. You have a curious community that stands by and watches. They watch Jesus as he does what he does. And they embrace it, but they also are watching as needs are going unmet all around them. Let me just say that I believe the same thing still happens today. There are those who have heard of the great work that is available to them through Jesus Christ. And as such, they read their Bibles and they attend worship services and they walk out of here feeling enlightened and encouraged and you feel good about your walk with Christ. And and you know what? That's a great thing. Maybe you've plugged into a Bible study or a Sunday school class and you're even going deeper than just what you get from the pulpit on Sunday. But sometimes, if we're not careful, we can become oblivious to the needs of those around us. I heard a phrase many years ago that many in the church have become so heavenly minded that they are of no earthly good. Again, I go back to what I've already said. It was a great thing that they were able to be curious regarding what this Jesus had to say. In fact, I would hope that I would be just as curious. But there were needs right in front of them, and they needed attention. Moses records in Deuteronomy 15, 11, that there will always be poor people in the land. Therefore, I command you to be open-handed toward your fellow Israelites who are poor and needy in your land. Perhaps the first part of this is that we need to be more intentionally aware of the needs around us. Pray that the Lord would open our eyes to those in need and pray that the Lord would empower us to not only see those needs, but also to make a difference in those individual lives. Well, I wish I could tell you that everybody who was present that day actually came because they were curious that they all had noble purposes. Certainly there were some who eagerly hung on his every word, hoping that perhaps something he would say would actually change their lives. But some were actually there to critique. They already saw themselves as holy. They have already arrived. Perhaps they were there to enforce their version of holiness even on Jesus. That's such a, a crazy idea. But it makes sense when you look at their response to Jesus' words. He offers this man forgiveness, and they immediately begin to mentally object to what he is saying. Why does this man speak like that? Now, it should be noted that this is still very early in Jesus' ministry, which means that likely very few, if any, already knew him as the Messiah. 
They knew that he could perform great miracles. And they knew that he spoke with great wisdom. So again, the curiosity factor was very strong. But they likely didn't see him as the Son of God. As these men bring their friend to Jesus, we're told that there were many gathered and that there was no room in the house, not even at the door. But an interesting thing happens. First, we'll get to the faith and the endless devotion of these four men in just a few moments. But it's impressive the way these guys work. But what I find so interesting today is that they end up on top of the house, tearing a hole on the roof and lowering their friend down to Jesus. You say, well, yeah, I know that's great. That's their faith. And that's, no, that, that's not the part that impresses me here. See, I wonder how that's possible. Not the tearing open of the roof. It's likely this was a thatched roof. It was probably something that didn't require a ton of effort to be able to do. But my question is, how did they fit him in there? Maybe it seems like a dumb question to you. But the scripture just told us that there was no more room in the house, not even at the door. Yet somehow now there was plenty of room for this guy to be in front of Jesus. And maybe this was one of those situations where Jesus simply made room. I figured that if he could take five loaves of bread and two fish and feed thousands of people, that he could probably make everybody in the room just a little bit thinner. Wouldn't that be great? Some of y'all right now, that's the only thing you're going to hear from this sermon, and you're going to go home praying that the Lord will make you thinner. For sure, he could have done that, or he could have expanded the walls of the house. But it's doubtful that those are the things that happened. Instead, what is more likely is that there was always enough room for one more person. But it was just more comfortable without that one more person. You kind of picture everyone sort of spreading out just a little bit and kind of making sure that there was no room for other people. Because if more people start coming in, then I got to kind of get small and it's not very comfortable. And they probably worked to make sure that even at the door, there was no way that someone could work through. Sorry, we're full. It sounds ugly, doesn't it? <laughs> to think that a critical community, remember they, they've already defined themselves as critical here because when Jesus offers forgiveness, they immediately question, who does this man think he is? Why does he talk like that? To think that a critical community would block the way for those wanting to come see Jesus is a very ugly thought. But they certainly were not willing to squeeze in to make room for this man. You know, history teaches us that as the Titanic sank, there were multiple problems with the lifeboats. On the one hand, there were 2,233 passengers aboard that night, yet only enough lifeboats for 1,178, so roughly half of the number of people who were on board. Two of the 20 lifeboats carried zero passengers as they were delayed in getting them ready. So in other words, they never even got to disperse them. But among the other 18 lifeboats, they were filled only to about half capacity, realizing 
that they could do more. Lifeboats 4 and 14 of the 20 returned to rescue more people from the icy waters, but nobody else returned. You say, well, what does that have to do with us? In total, 705 passengers would be rescued that night, although many more, a total of 1178, could have and should have survived. What a tragedy. Now, there's some debate as to why the other ships didn't return to rescue more passengers. Some have suggested that maybe they were just following orders, but others have suggested that they were afraid that if they brought too many people on board their lifeboats, that maybe their lifeboat would sink. So it wasn't worth the risk of going back for those who were still stranded in the water. Now, we may not be as blatantly blocking the way for the lost, but there are things that we do that do block the way for others. And before I share this, let me also say that I believe that this church does a much better job than most. But I've seen churches that have designed all of their ministries to simply take care of the people who are already in the church. In other words, it's all about making sure that we are comfortable, that we have the things that we want instead of actually reaching out to those who are lost. Let me give you an example of this specific to this church. Maybe this is my selective memory, but we started a new service about five years ago. The service was intentionally not the same as what this church had been mostly familiar with. In order to make that happen, it would cost money, time, and effort that very well could have been used on people that were already a part of this church. But I don't remember a single complaint about the new service that we were starting. In fact, what I remember was people asking me how they could help with making that service take place. I remember individuals who were very clearly more interested in this traditional service coming out on a somewhat regular basis just to support the new service. And instead of being a stumbling block to that new service, I saw people who were willing to do whatever it took to reach the lost in this community. If it gets a little uncomfortable, it gets a little uncomfortable, and that's okay. Today, we have two very healthy services. In fact, the numbers are actually a little bit reversed now. We've begun to have more people in that second service than we do in the first. We have two healthy services under one church name that are reaching new people on a regular basis. I know too many churches that would not welcome such a ministry for fear that it might not benefit them or simply because it isn't the way that we've always done it. Oh, how I pray that this would never describe this church. Or consider our addiction recovery ministry that just began. Often among those who have been in the church for a long time, we grow comfortable with each other. But when you start bringing in, quote unquote, those people with all of their hurts, habits, and hangups, ministry can get messy. So we pray for those people, but we don't want to provide that kind of ministry at our church. But of course, if we look a little deeper, we'll discover that we are those kinds of people. 
and that our sin may just look a little bit different from theirs. Oh, how I pray that this would never describe this church. I want us to be a church that genuinely is bringing people to Jesus. I could give multiple other examples of the community of Christ blocking the way for those who do not yet know Christ, but you get the point. May our selfishness and comfort never become a stumbling block to those who are on the outside looking in. Now, there's one last group of community that I want us to talk about this morning. And this is the one that gets the most press coverage in this story. We're talking about the four people who, for whatever reason, they have decided, I'm going to do whatever it takes to get my friend to Jesus. Regardless of whether they had to carry him for a mile or just around the corner. When they arrived, they would not be deterred. They were all in, and they wanted him to be all in. And for certain, this was not without cost. They risked humiliation. They risked embarrassment, perhaps even financial punishment as they had just torn open a hole in someone's roof. And for all they knew, this Jesus or maybe those in the crowd might even rebuke them for this act. I mean, can you picture the crowd potentially confronting these men? Who do you think you are? What makes you think that you should be able to get to the front of the crowd? We've been here all morning, and now you show up and you think you should just be at the front? I sure hope that that Jesus will put these men in their place. Can you picture the frustration that was likely there among the crowd? But these four men didn't care about what it cost them. And that's because they loved this man and knew that this was what he needed. They demonstrate a very important principle to us today. A caring community always carries people to Jesus. I want you to notice what I said there. A caring community doesn't just point people to Jesus, and I think at times that's what we've tried to do. We carry people to Jesus. This is like that parent who sends their children to church versus the parent who brings their children to church. There is a big difference between the two. Have you ever looked at the brokenness of our world? And thought, this world really needs Jesus. I know that I have. And that thought is correct. But they don't need just a little bit of Jesus. Yet last week, I talked about how the majority of the people in the Christian church today are likely in a lukewarm position. They've got a little bit of Jesus. Well, how can we bring the world to a place where we are not yet willing to go? You see, so many of us, we got just a little bit of Jesus, but we want the rest of the world to get all of him. You need Jesus in your life. Yes, you do need it, but so do I. How can I tell you how much of Jesus you need if I'm content with just a little bit of Jesus in my own life? We need to bring people to Jesus, but the place that begins is with our own willingness to draw near to him. 
these four men, as they bring their friend to Jesus, they too will experience a personal encounter with Jesus Christ. We don't know much about them. We don't know. Maybe they had heard him preach some other time. Or maybe they had heard stories about what he could do. But it is likely that they had never had a personal encounter like they did on this day. Maybe when we look at our broken world and how much our world needs Jesus, maybe what that means is we also need him. And we need that same encounter that we want the world to have. Now, the scriptures speak often about the importance of us caring for others. The Apostle Paul writes to the Galatian church in Galatians 6-2, carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. There was the expectation that we not withdraw from our broken world, but rather we become the hands and feet of Jesus to that broken world. And specifically relating to the church, in Romans 12, 13, Paul says, share with the Lord's people who are in need, practice hospitality. Again, the primary concern is not for yourself, but for the needs of others. But perhaps the clearest address of this comes from Jesus in Matthew 25. Jesus is talking about the coming judgment of God. And in verse 44 and 45, he says, they also will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? And he will reply, truly, I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Jesus is telling us that we need to be concerned about the brokenness of others. But note that it's more than just feeling bad for them. It also includes action. The caring community carries people to Jesus. So I close with a question for you today. Which community are you a part of? Are you the curious community? So focused on what God might be able to do for you, that you are oblivious to the needs that are right in front of you. Again, it's not wrong that you would be curious. It's not wrong that you would want to be in the presence of the Lord and you would want him to speak. In fact, it is a great thing. But as he speaks, what will happen is we will begin to move from just being a part of the curious community. Maybe some of you have come today simply because you are broken and you need God to do something in your life. Maybe you're a little bit curious as to whether or not he could really change you. I want to assure you today that he can. (laughs) And I embrace the fact that there is a curious community here within the church. Or are you a part of the critical community? So focused on your own comfort And making sure that others measure up to your standards, yet not even willing to become uncomfortable for the sake of reaching the lost. Yeah, it does happen. Now we're talking about individuals. We're not talking about the church as a whole. I've already given you examples of the church as a whole. So often we come in and 
what happens as individuals is this is my church. And I want it to be something that makes me feel good. When I leave, I want to I feel good. And I get it. But the reality is God is calling us to experience him. And if you've experienced him, if these seats were very uncomfortable, if it was 25 degrees in here, if you experienced the presence of the Lord, when you walked out of this place, you would feel like that was why I get up on Sunday mornings. There would be this sense of excitement. What's happened is for too long, we've made church about us, us being comfortable. I love, by the way, the fact that we have different worship styles in our music. I love this service. If you were to talk preference, this is my service. I like the traditional music. But the reality is, if we do traditional, we do contemporary, the service was never about me. I came to worship him. And if I have experienced his presence, when I walk out of here, none of my comforts really matter. So often it's, it's easy for us to get caught up in being critical about everything. Or are you a part of the caring community? Realizing that Jesus is the only hope for the brokenness around us. And therefore, we will do whatever it takes to bring that hope and that healing and that grace to those around us. Know that the curious can be a really good thing. It's certainly a great place for us to begin. And critical can even be a good thing. I know you're thinking, no, no. Actually, there is a positive side to being critical. Sometimes it can help us stay on track. Remember their, their objection to Jesus when he speaks there that day was that he had offered forgiveness. Well, they knew that according to the law, only God had the ability to forgive. What they're doing is trying to keep things on track. What they didn't understand was Jesus himself was God, and he had the ability to forgive. What they were doing, actually, it was right as much as they knew because they didn't understand that Jesus was the Messiah, the Savior of the world. So a little bit of critical can actually be good. Being curious can be good. But if we do not become the caring community that God intended us to be, then we cannot completely honor the Lord in our daily lives. I don't know the needs that you will face this week. I don't know the people that are a part of your lives that already they are hurting, but I know that God has placed you in their lives so that you can be the one to bring Jesus to them. That's a different idea there. We've been talking about they brought their friend to Jesus. We have the opportunity not only to bring their friends to Jesus, and if you want to bring them to church next Sunday, I promise they'll experience a little bit of Jesus. Hopefully they experience a whole lot of Jesus. But do you know that you also can bring Jesus to them? Because the truth is, the moment you surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, he sent his spirit to now dwell in you. And when you walk out the doors of this church, you bring Jesus to the world around you. My question is, are you doing it? 
I'm going to pray, and as I pray, I want to pray, first of all, that we would be the community that God has called us to be, that we will have that element of curiosity, maybe even that element of critique that, again, can be very healthy, but especially that we would be the kind of people who care about the brokenness of our world enough that we will bring them to Jesus. Father, as we come before you, Lord, we are so grateful for you and the grace that you gave to us. The songs that were sung earlier reflect so much on the saving, redeeming work of Christ and all that you have done. And Lord, none of us today has any hope outside of what you have already brought to us. It is through your son, Jesus Christ, that our sins are forgiven. If there be one in this room who today they are still curious not really sure if they can trust this Jesus, have not really reached that point where they're ready to surrender their lives, but they're curious. Lord, I pray right now that you would reveal to them the power of your grace to transform their lives. Lord, I pray that right now they would confess their sins and that you would cleanse them from all unrighteousness, that they would be able to begin new, that as they curiously seek you, that you would reveal yourself to them. Lord, I pray that in the days that would follow, they would experience you in such a way that there would be no question as to whether or not this Jesus is real. Father, I pray that each one of us would seek you with a heart of curiosity, that we would want nothing more than to know you and to experience you more than we ever have before. Lord, I pray for those who right now would fall in the category of a critical community. Father, I thank you for the desire that was very clearly there among those who listened to Jesus on that day. They wanted to make sure that things were done right. Lord, I pray that you would help us to minister in such a way that we do things right, that we honor you in our every action, in our every attitude. Father, I pray that you would help us to not be satisfied, though, with being a curious community or even a critical community. Lord, help us to also be a caring community. Lord, I pray for the people that are around us today. There are those that are broken and they're dealing with things that we've never had to experience. There are others that are dealing with the exact same thing that we've already been through. Lord, I pray that you would help us to do more than just pray for those around us. But Lord, may we become your vessels, the hands and feet of Jesus going and bringing them to you. Father, I pray today that each individual in this room would suddenly become aware of the brokenness of others. Sometimes we just get so focused, we're looking at our things and we're not really paying attention to everything else. Lord, I pray that you would help us to see the needs of those around us. And then I pray that you would empower us to act so that they might know that there is hope in Jesus Christ. Father, we give you praise for what you're going to do through your people here. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Before I let you go, I've got one other biblical illustration of this that I wanted to share with you. And I promise to keep this brief because some of y'all are looking at the clock like Pastor I mentioned the feeding of the 5,000 earlier. Uh, actually, it was more than 5,000. It's 5,000 men. 
it is likely there were probably between 10, some have said 12 or even 15,000 people that were present that day with five loaves of bread and two fish. Jesus tells the disciples at that point, they don't even have the five loaves of bread and two fish. He says, go ahead and feed all the people. And they said, well, Jesus, actually, it'd be better if we sent them on their way. Maybe they can find a store wherever else. But of course, they're in the middle of nowhere. There's no place to get enough food to feed that many thousands of people. And as the disciples begin to kind of figure out things, Andrew, the brother of Simon Peter, comes to Jesus. He says, I've got a boy over here. He's got five loaves of bread and two fish. Did you notice what Andrew did in that moment? He brought someone to Jesus. And the thing is, those five loaves of bread and two fish would have probably been very satisfying for that little boy. But because Andrew brought him to Jesus, that boy was able to feed thousands that day. If we would only bring people to Jesus, Jesus could do a whole lot more with them than what we could. So that's my call to you today. Let's be the people who bring others to Jesus. Thank you for being with us this morning. Take what we've talked about and put it into practice this week as we go.